from 87 Lafayette. It's Corona Pod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. Oh my god, Adam. We are really bad at technology. We are really bad at technology. This was a struggle. It took seven tries just to start recording this episode today. And that that doesn't include the numerous attempts we've made (laughs) with our new microphone, which we can't get working. I think this is what we were doing from the get-go. Has worked, will work. That's it. Yeah, that's true. For our listeners who are wondering... We have a very DIY system for recording this podcast. We do not have a microphone, which explains the terrible sound quality. We also record this in a room with all hardwood floors and very little covering the walls. Um, and so we got lots of echoes and all the music that we played that we absolutely have the rights to. Uh, we just play off our iPhones. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's pretty DIY. I will say this is a good a good preview of our guest tonight, who is decidedly not DIY, is very technically literate. They will be talking to us about encryption, Zoom, and all the security fears that uh, you never knew you had. But we'll leave that aside. I uh, We promised our listeners last night that we would have some good news. Well, I was hoping to have good news by having better sound quality with this microphone, which I drove into Manhattan to get today from my cousins. And then we were so excited. I drove all the way to Manhattan to get this microphone, and we cannot get it to work. To be clear, driving to Manhattan from Brooklyn (coughs) is no longer the adventure it normally is, and that it probably took you 25 minutes there and back. Yeah, I think you were very surprised when I left, and then I came back very quickly. You did not realize that I'd actually gone all the way to Tribeca in that time. There was no traffic, needless to say. which Which is what we want. So I have some other good news. Good news. Let's hear it. First good news is that our roommate, who is a med student, has volunteered to call people about their COVID test results. And Mm. we don't have a lot of details due to HIPAA, but what I can tell you is that he has called people from mothers who are finding out the status of their newborn children to medical professionals and... Everyone he's called so far has been negative, and we hope it stays that way. That is excellent, excellent to hear. A question for you, though, that our listeners may be wondering is, is he only calling negative patients, or could he also be calling people who who unfortunately tested positive as well? I don't know. Uh, The rules around security and patient information are extremely strict, so I bullied everything I could out of him. but it's good news, so let's go with That's that. That's good news. That's and, good news. Uh, and uh, let's move on to our other positive story this evening, which is... Which is, you know, actually, we had a very positive experience this morning, which is we were both on a big Zoom call with some old friends of ours from our first job, the job you still have, uh, which we started just a couple months apart, and it was a really nice opportunity to see, like, 30 other people and... Uh, what they're up to, but also what Zoom backgrounds they prefer. Everyone's childhood bedrooms. Mm. Um, but I, I was going to say uh, one other thing for those of you who aren't still in touch with everyone who was at your first job out of college, although some of you I know still are. Shout out to my mom uh, and her <laughs> J.P. Morgan training class, which she, uh, she loves to talk about. But the other thing I wanted to say is New York City shelters for animals. 
For animals. For animals. So the shelters for people are an absolute disaster right now in terms of really, really not being supported in the way that's necessary to support people without a home during this crisis, especially those who have COVID-19. But animal shelters are empty. There is actually the, the number of people who applied to adopt a pet, like a cat or a dog that was a shelter animal, was up tenfold in March. And now the shelters, which normally are completely filled and they're constantly asking you to donate animals or unfortunately they're gonna have to be euthanized, they are empty. And that is because so many people thinking about being quarantined alone went and got a pet. And I love that. I love that. That is excellent to hear. My favorite animal in the world, other than Momo the Cat, our sponsor of the podcast, is my cousin's rescue pit bull, which they got at a shelter. So huge kudos to anyone who went and got an animal to keep them company, but also it's just great that the shelters are, are now empty. So that that is good. But I want to go back to the Zoom call for a moment because I was thinking today, while we were on this Zoom call with 40 people, you know, is this secure? Not that we were talking about anything important whatsoever, uh, but, you know, I feel like I've read a couple of things in the news recently about is Zoom secure? Is Google Hangout secure? Lots of stuff's being discussed. Zoom bombing. Yeah. Zoom bombing. I don't even know what that is, but I think... Our guest tonight knows a lot about these topics, and so we should give them a call. I think that's a great idea. Tonight we are talking with my sister, who works in a security group at Google, and can kind of talk to us about how this stuff works, and if we should be concerned, or if we should leave that to our IT department. Hannah, welcome to CoronaPod. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Anytime. So we were, we were just talking about how this morning, Matt and I were on a Zoom call with 40 other people, and this Zoom call, I got a text message with a link, and I opened it on my computer, and boom, there were, you know, 20 people who I last saw in the office in February, and 20 people I haven't seen in two years. Could I have seen someone I had never seen before? Walk me through kind of everything that's going on with Zoom, like... How does, how does the data stay private, right? Like if I had a confidential meeting where I was going over with, you know, the CFO this month's earnings, how, how does that, you know, make sure that no one goes and peeks at that? Yeah, so the, the call you described, um, where you just got a link, you clicked on the link, you were in the call, uh, that, that would not prevent someone from getting in there and, and being able to watch that video. Um, and that's because there was, there was nothing that authenticated you to the call. There was nothing that checked and saw that, you know, the person who's in this call is the person who should be in this call. Um, so this and, is kind of, this, know, this is kind of like back in the day with, uh, landlines, how if, you know, I picked up another phone in a different room at the same moment that the person I was calling picked up the phone, they wouldn't realize that there were two people on the phone. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. It's basically like, you know, you're giving someone a phone number, right? And you're saying, okay, if this phone rings, it's that person. But actually, you know, there are other ways to find your phone number. If I only give my phone number to you, Adam, and I get a call one day, 
it's not necessarily from you. Someone else could also have called it. So I can't assume just because someone's calling my number that it's you who's calling me. And it's not even that someone could be trying to reach you. It could also just be that someone has just typed in a bunch of random numbers into their phone and that's who they end up with. Is that what Zoom bombing is? Yeah. That's, that's basically what Zoom bombing is. And Zoom's gotten a lot of flack for this lately. You know, Zoom, I'd never heard of it until a week and a half ago, until this apocalypse, you know, really took off. Um, and since it's, you know, become this sort of app of choice, um, it's actually gotten a lot of attention from security researchers who have found a number of ways that it's not terribly well designed for security and privacy. Got it. So... Let's kind of break that down. So uh, the way I'm looking at it is there are kind of two security issues, right? The first is, let's say you have a malevolent actor who wants to break into Zoom somehow, right? And they are, you know, someone equipped with coding skills. And then there's issues where you can't defend yourself against that because there are vulnerabilities in Zoom's system. So setting that aside for a minute, what we just discussed is basically users who have not fully enabled the security around Zoom, right? Like, if yeah, I wanted yeah. to, Zoom's I could... Zoom's pushing pretty hard. Uh, some other capabilities have, for instance, you can set a password, and everyone should be setting a password whenever they set up a Zoom call. You know, it doesn't have to be a super convoluted password or something like that, but by setting a password, you can avoid what what you just described, Adam, that random person dropping in. There have been problems with people dropping in and screen sharing inappropriate content um, to people's calls. So this isn't just, you know, that some annoying, you know, 15-year-old is going to turn up. This could be something incredibly offensive that happens. So, you know, definitely set passwords on your Zoom calls. That's the, the easy way to prevent this. Got it. Okay. And then on the other side, my understanding is they're kind of to divide like the Zoom vulnerability piece, there are two things, right? One is, can malevolent actors somehow break the encryption to get data when it's leaving my Wi-Fi network and going to the Zoom server? And then the other piece is, is my data visible to Zoom? So could an employee of Zoom watch my video conference. Is, is that kind of the right way to think about it, those two pieces? Yeah, yeah. I would say that's a great way to think about it. The, the company itself, what they can do, and what other people not associated with the company can do. And it's actually that second uh, piece that you talked about, the company itself, that I think is most interesting with Zoom. Um, and the reason for that is that Zoom, occasionally in security white papers, has referred to itself as end-to-end -end encrypted for video calls. But end-to-end -end encryption is, you know, it's a, it's a very specific term within security. And Zoom is not end-to-end -end encryption. So can you explain to me what does end-to-end -end encryption mean? Is that, you know, if I pay my credit card bill at my bank website, is that end-to-end -end encryption? My, my gut is that it's not, right? Yeah, I don't expect that paying your bank bill would be end-to-end -end encrypted. The idea of end-to-end -end encryption is that in, you know, most of the time, we've got three parties interacting. So for Zoom, for instance, we have you who's calling someone, we have the person you're calling, and then we have the Zoom server that it's moving through. End-to-end -end encryption is the idea that only you and the person you're calling have the encryption key that allows you to view the data that's being sent. In the case of Zoom, they generate that key in their server. 
using a key management service and then share it to both ends, which means the server has the ability to look at all the traffic. So I have kind of, I have two questions there. The first is, is that's what you do, right? Your, your day-to-day job has to do with storing encryption keys, right? Yep, I work on a key management service. Okay, and then the second piece is, am I right in, I've heard a lot in the news about how, uh, you know, there's certain communication devices, uh, apps, right? Like Telegram, for example, where mm-hmm. re- uh, the police department, for example, can't get Telegram to give them the messages because they can't unencrypt the messages. It sounds like what you're saying is this is a situation where if the police went to Zoom and said, tell me what's been happening, Zoom would be like, sure, that's no problem. I have the password right here. Is that, is that correct? Yep, that's exactly the case. But, you know, here, what's interesting with Zoom um, is that Zoom has a bunch of engineers in China and a bunch of uh, sub-companies that they use, you know, that work on the software for Zoom in China and a lot of their key management servers are in China. Uh, For a company to be working in China, they agree to a bunch of things for the Chinese government, one of which is that they will provide these sorts of encryption keys. So we're not talking about, you know, the U.S. police, whatever, whatever, but the Chinese government also has the ability, even if it's uh, just a call between two U.S. people, if it's two people in the U.S., Security researchers have found that traffic using encryption keys generated in China and therefore accessible to the Chinese government. Got it. Mm. And so maybe tell us about some of the risks of that. Like sort of play that through. What what could that actually lead to? And, and do I need to be worried when I'm calling my grandparents or is this really only relevant to business? I think it's much more relevant to business. A lot of it is, you know, you yourself and your risk tolerance, your opinion about whether, you know, how secure you want your communications to be. You know, there are some people who care a lot about that sort of thing, and they only use things like, you know, Telegram or Signal that are actually end-to-end encrypted. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it goes too little to the idea, you know, people talk about, well, you know, if you have nothing to hide, then it isn't a problem. Right. So do you feel like you have anything to hide from, you know, the Chinese government or the U.S. government or people who might be able to access your calls? Maybe not. Um, But you should know. And and Zoom in the past has been very, you know, they, they haven't made it clear that this is a risk that exists with their service. And it exists with many other video calling services. Got it. The, the last thing I want to ask, and then let's definitely talk about some of the reasons why people have picked Zoom or not picked Zoom is you mentioned uh, offhand to me earlier today that the actual encryption algorithm matters a lot and that there are ways in which you can encrypt. Something might work really well for audio but not work well for video and vice versa. Can you kind of talk about that and explain why that might be a problem? Yeah, so the first thing to sort of know is that for something to be encrypted doesn't really mean anything. You know, a lot of us knew Pig Latin growing up. You could argue that's a form of encryption, right? So, you know, encryption itself, you know, it really matters what exactly you're using. Um, So Zoom, according to what security researchers have found, is using AES 128-bit keys in, uh, what is it, Uh, CBM mode or something like that, Um, which is not great for video. Basically, when you're encrypting video, You've got patterns that are very apparent in between every frame. 
you know, audio, it's going to be different between different seconds, but you want to make sure that you smooth out the peaks. Video, most frames are going to look very similar to each other, which means if you want to make sure the encrypted version of your video isn't easily viewable, you need to use something that introduces a lot of random patterns into it. And the form of encryption that Zoom is using does not do that and is not recommended for video. It's sort of a way that people looking at it go like, ooh, they don't, they don't have a cryptographer on staff. Got they it. don't have someone who's an expert in this topic to tell them you know, what to pick. So essentially what you're saying is someone could look at all of the video, right? They could hack into my Wi-Fi network, for example, right? And they could see this stuff leaving going on the way to the Zoom server, and obviously it's been encrypted, right? So they can't get an exact image of what I'm looking at. But because my video screen doesn't change that frequently, right? It's just my head in front of a background. They get a lot of very, very similar data. And if the encryption key is somewhat simple, it'll be pretty easy to crack because frame to frame, not that much is changing. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if you've sort of heard that during World War II, part of what helped the Allies crack the encryption that the Axis powers was used, were using was that they started every communication with the same phrase. It's sort of like that. When you have an existing pattern that continues, you need to be really careful to make sure your encryption disguises it. And if it doesn't disguise it well enough, that's a really big clue into being able to decrypt what you've received. Got it. That is, that is incredibly helpful. So a lot of people have picked Zoom because it is very it has a great interface it's very user friendly it can support up to a thousand people obviously there are massive uh security issues with it which may be more or less relevant depending on what you're doing on zoom but what are some of the alternatives that people can think about um out there that you think might have better security you know, I haven't really done an, an analysis of this, so I'm, I'm hesitant to go into it. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about, um, but, you know, these sort of general security risks, you can pick a company that doesn't operate in China if you're worried about the Chinese government having access to things. You can pick a company that's been just around longer and has published transparency reports. Uh, transparency reports, companies typically publish them to say, this is how many times governments have requested our data and this is how we responded. For instance, Google has a transparency report like this in which they detail requests that they've received and how they responded to them. That can often be a really good indication to know what the company is doing, how forthright they're being about it. Um, the other thing is the Zoom, uh, so a lot of the time when you use Zoom, you download a client onto your desktop, right? Yep. Um, so I, for instance, had downloaded the Zoom client onto my desktop in order to, to chat with family, and I actually was required by my company to remove it because the Zoom desktop clients have all sorts of problems, totally unrelated to these problems we've talked about. So if you're going to use Zoom, use it in the browser, not through the desktop client, there are a whole host of other problems. If you, people are curious to read into them, um, Schneider on security has a whole whole uh, blog post about it. Got it. Well, thank you very much for explaining this all to us. It sounds like the number one thing people should do is set a password, right? Yeah. The number one thing you can do to make sure that your call doesn't get all sorts of nonsense into it is set a password. It's not that hard, and it's definitely worth doing. Got it. Well, thank you so much. This has been very informative. 
I think I have an email to send to my company's IT department on Monday. Um, <laughs> Nat, are you guys Zoom or Hangouts? We're on Hangouts uh, at my company, but I will say I do like Zoom because of the fun backgrounds that, that we can add. Well, there's a, there's a real trade-off there to make, Matt. Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have to pick a, <laughs> a hill to die on. <laughs> it sounds like it's the same trade-off with downloading TikTok. Are you willing to have fun and give all your data to the Chinese government in times of coronavirus? It sounds like the answer might just be yes. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Have thanks, a great Anna. evening. All right. Have a good one. Nice talking to you guys. Bye. So we got us at passwords. Definitely setting passwords. Probably not password. No. That seems like a bad password. Yeah. I will say, you know, I, um, it was funny that you mentioned the example of picking up the phone, like with the old landline system. I used to do that all the time as a kid. Got me into lots and lots of trouble picking up the phone and eavesdropping on my parents' conversations, but I loved to do it. I have to admit, maybe I should have been a spy. That's, that's definitely possible, and maybe we'll get a guest who can explain party lines to us. The you know Even before each house had a landline, how whole neighborhoods or communities would share a phone. What is party lines? <laughs> We're going to have more to talk about. This has been CoronaPod. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay healthy. CoronaPod is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat. <laughs>